Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to Best and Worst of the Weekend. We are coming to your calls. I have votes for truly dozens for Best of the Weekend. How did UVA basketball coach Tony Bennett join a whole bunch of football teams and football players? Quick answer there is that the national champion head coach of the Cavaliers negotiated a new deal and wait for it, turned down additional money. He said, no, I'm overcompensated for what I do as a college basketball coach. You've been good to me at UVA even before I started taking you to the ACC title or to the national championship. He said he would like more money for his assistance. He said he'd love to get to the point where he could help university-wide matters with more of that money. He and his wife are happy with their compensation. He wanted to direct more of those dollars in more diverse places and did exactly that. That's a little bit of an off-the-beaten-trail best of the weekend. So was Heather O'Reilly. She was honored over the weekend for the North Carolina Courage. That is the best team in the National Women's Soccer League one more time. Heyo, as they call her, former UNC superstar, also U.S. Women's National Team star, and an absolutely tough, grinded-out player at every level, including her current team, the North Carolina Courage, as they seek yet another title. 1-800-849-2761. If you're just joining us, Ben Roethlisberger is having season-ending elbow surgery, the veteran Steelers quarterback, and Drew Brees, the hand problem after the Rams game it has turned out that that hand issue will sideline him for a guesstimate of about six weeks. So the NFC South leading Saints, only one and one, remember, after losing to the Rams this weekend, will be without Breeze for a while. Teddy Bridgewater will step in for New Orleans and Mason Rudolph will step in for the 0-2 Steelers. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. Ben in Nightdale wants to follow up on the Tim Tebow, Jay Billis-type debate where Tebow said, it shouldn't be all about me for college athletes. They're getting a lot. They should appreciate that and will ruin college sports if too many people get too much about themselves. Jay Billis called that stance immoral, among other things, and wants more of a free market approach to, for example, athletes being able to benefit from their own name, likeness, image. Right now, the schools are benefiting from those things. The athletes get a whole bunch of other stuff, but for the stars in the biggest sports, it is not exactly a fair trade, even in the modern system. Ben, welcome to the David Glenn Show. You have a creative question. Go right ahead. Hey, man, thanks for having me on. Sure. I have several D1 friends who played college sports, and I worked in athletics at NC State for a while, so I've seen a lot of both sides. Yeah. Um, what do you think about a salary cap to keep your schools like Duke and Notre Dame with more money from buying all the good players? A salary cap for the schools and then maybe per player as well. Well, here, here's one of the challenges, and this is why I think Congress is going to get involved rather than your end result probably would require – athletes unionizing right why, why is it there are all sorts of things that nba teams or nfl teams nhl etc do that would be illegal if they were not collectively bargained right the, the idea of a draft is patently a violation of antitrust law in other walks of life you don't get drafted i didn't get drafted as a sports radio host or a journalist right i got to pick where i wanted to work well drafts would be illegal unless a union representing players talking to owners representing teams worked out a deal. Okay, this is how these high school and college athletes are going to be assigned to these professional franchises. We, 
in the terms of the collective bargaining agreement, which, of course, also determine who gets what percentage of the cash in professional sports. This is one of the things we're going to agree to for our whatever, 48% of the revenue or 50% of the revenue. It varies sports by sport by sport. Because you don't have unionized college athletes, how are you going to come up with any system, whether it's Ben and Nightdale's salary cap system or whatever else? You, you, the athletes are not unionized. And keep in mind, unlike any, whatever you think of unions, and let's just put that off to the side because it's, it's divisive in ways that really aren't impactful to sports all that often. Whatever you think of unions, the success stories have often been where you have a pretty big incentive to join a union. Why? Because if you can envision spending five years of your life, or certainly if you can envision, man, I'm a whatever, I'm a electrician, and this is going to be my career for 40 years, and if I can get into the union in a big city or whatever, yeah, there's some trade-offs. I don't like them taking my monthly dues out of my paycheck or whatever, but there's a benefit. I'm getting a lot more per hour than the non-union electricians are getting for this government work or this alternative project or whatever. Well, in the college sports athlete context, you have nothing like what you see in most walks of life where unions are successful. Whereas you in your walk of life might think, hey, I might be in this for 40 years or 20 years or whatever. The, col- the best college athletes are there for like one year in basketball and three years for college football. And then they're off and then they're making the big bucks. So most of them who have the most leverage are the least interested in making this philosophical stand. They'll say, man, I see your point philosophically, but I don't want to be the guy. I just want to go to school. Let me play for Cal or Kay or Roy Williams for one year. I know the system's rotten and needs to be changed, and we deserve a bigger slice of the pie and name, image, likeness. They might say, I'm with you philosophically on all of that. But I'm just a guy, man. I'm 17 or 18 years old. It's been my dream to play college basketball. If I, if I do this your way, let's form a union or let's boycott March Madness. I'm going to boycott March Madness for my one and only chance to be on college basketball's biggest stage in front of mega millions of people. Like a lot of these athletes will tell you, I agree with you philosophically. I'm just not going to jeopardize my one season in college hoops to be this trailblazer. And can you blame them, really? I mean, at that age especially, are you going to be the trailblazer while jeopardizing your own eligibility? It's a little bit more complicated, well, a lot more complicated for athletes in college to unionize than it is in virtually every other context where unions are successful. And once you have trouble clearing the union hurdle, you have a lot of trouble. How do you get to the point where the Nightdale salary cap proposal who, who's negotiating for whom, right? You can't just when, – when the NCAA tried to impose a salary cap on an assistant basketball coaching position – this happened years ago. I covered this case. The logic was, all right, we want more coaches to have more opportunities. And we want, in particular, minority coaches to get more opportunities. But under NCAA rules, you had a head coach – and then a specified number of assistant coaches. So do you know what their compromise was? We're not going to add another full assistant coaching position in basketball, for example. We're going to call it, and they actually called it this, the restricted earnings position. 
So what the NCAA thought was a brilliant compromise. All right, we're not going to add another full salary because the uni these universities often tell us they're having trouble making ends meet. And at a lot of schools, that's actually true. At other schools, they exaggerate it, but that's another school, another story for another day. So they create this, it's called the restricted earnings position. And they thought, oh, man, this is perfect, right? Doesn't cost too much for the schools, but all these up-and-coming young coaches, including minorities, get a chance to say, I was an assistant coach at this university. Maybe that leads to a full-time position from your restricted earnings position. When the NCAA was sued because they put a salary cap on that assistant coach's compensation, it lost. And when you lose antitrust cases, it's expensive. So the NCAA is not going to unilaterally impose that kind of salary cap on a school or a team when it already had somebody eat its lunch in a different context. 1-800-849-2761. David is in Greensboro and has the Carolina Panthers on his mind. Welcome to the program. Go right ahead. Uh, how you doing today, David? Doing great, man. What's up? Uh, yeah, I was just calling because, you know, as a Panther fan, I just had concerns about how they performing starting out this year. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, is it time for the Panthers to push the panic button on Cam? Because, you know, the way he's throwing the ball and he's not accurate. And I'm just trying to find out whether or not, you know, is it the coaching staff or is it just, you know, people, the other team may not coming up to par and doing their job. It looks like McCaffrey is the only one that's really playing 100%. And that's what my concern is, you know, uh, I just don't know what's going on with the yeah. team because I'm disappointed. I, you're, you're not the only team. one who's raised this issue. I mean, I've gotten a lot of tweets and emails saying it's time to give Kyle Allen or Will Greer a chance. Here, here's my response to that. I've always believed the best way to do this, put yourself either in David Tepper's shoes as the owner or Ron Rivera's shoes as the head coach or maybe, you know, Norv Turner's shoes as the offensive coordinator. They know, not think, they know that rookie quarterback Will Greer from West Virginia is not ready to play in the NFL, period. So all you would do by pushing the panic button, which is a great phrase for these purposes, all you would do is give up on Cam Newton if you push the panic button, whom you're paying $20 million a year this year and more than $20 million a year next year. So you'd be fracturing your relationship with your franchise quarterback while giving it to a guy who clearly is not ready and showed it in the preseason. Now, where's Kyle Allen? Well, he's more of a veteran, so he, and he's done some good things. Does anybody believe Kyle Allen gives the Panthers? Are you sure, so sure, that you're pulling the plug on your ninth-year veteran quarterback that you owe 40-plus million dollars to the next two years? Are you so sure of that? Or, and this is my bottom line, if I'm David Tepper or North Turner or Ron Rivera, I'm not pulling the plug. Will Greer is going to be inactive because he's a longer-term project, and he showed in the preseason he just – the game hasn't slowed down for him yet. Most rookie quarterbacks, if they're ready to play, were picked in the first round. And Will Greer was not, and he's not ready to play. And it's really not all that debatable, to be honest. Kyle Allen has been there, done that to a degree. But to me, he's a, he has proven himself to be only – a subpar NFL quarterback at best. Maybe he's a hidden gem waiting to be discovered. We'll see. Like, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers, whether they like it or not, are about to find out a lot more about Mason Rudolph. But that's not because they pulled the plug on 37-year-old 
Ben Roethlisberger. It's because Ben just had season-ending elbow surgery, right? Teddy Bridgewater's in for the Saints, not because they're tired. Drew Brees only scored nine points against the Rams this weekend. No, Drew Brees has a hand issue, and he's out for six weeks. So those backups are being promoted for much different reasons. I don't have nearly the confidence in Kyle Allen or Will Greer that I would have if I were Sean Payton plugging Teddy Bridgewater in for the next month and a half as the head coach of the New Orleans Saints. And as long as the Panthers are in that mode, I don't see how it's best for the franchise, best for your relationship with Cam, to pull the plug now. See how he does against Arizona. And as I said last week, the Panthers have to decide. But smart franchises don't do it after an 0-2 start. You don't fracture your relationship with your franchise quarterback because he, has, he hasn't been even asked to run hardly at all through two weeks, and he's throwing poorly. So the throwing poorly is on Cam. There are times you can blame his line. There are times you can blame his receivers. But it's mostly on Cam Newton. He is throwing horribly by NFL standards through two games this week. He couldn't even – or this season. He couldn't even complete half of his passes this past week in that ugly loss to the Buccaneers. 24 of 50, three sacks and a fumble. That's not NFL-caliber quarterbacking. But four years ago, the guy was the team MVP. His numbers reinforced that he's as dangerous a dual-threat quarterback as this league has ever seen. And they have to philosophically decide, what are we going to do with Cam at 30 years old? You have to make that decision right now. Because if you believe it is worth the risk for him to continue being this dual-threat quarterback, even at 30, even as the guy who's taken more hits than anybody in the NFL at the quarterback position by far, the numbers are striking how much Cam sometimes voluntarily puts his body at risk. Other times, he just takes the usual beating that quarterbacks tend to take. You have to decide... Cam Newton can't be great and probably will never be the MVP guy of 2015 again. But if you believe he can't be great without being the dual threat, well, then you just can't put kid gloves on him. You can't wrap him in bubble wrap. You have to say, yes, we're going to tell him to slide. Yes, we're going to tell him to get the heck out of bounds. But yes, we're also going to ask him on high leverage plays. We need this conversion or we need this conversion to win the game. Yeah, Cam is 250 freaking pounds. You need to ask him to do what he does better than most quarterbacks in NFL history. That doesn't preserve him for his age 35 year, but so what would be my answer. If I'm David Tepper, I owe this guy 40-some million dollars over the next two years, and I'm going to find out what he's got left him in, in him as a dual-threat quarterback. And I'm certainly not reaching for the panic button on the backup quarterbacks. If we watch Cam for 14 more games and maybe he gets hurt again or maybe he does not build on, he did make progress as an accurate thrower last year under Norv Turner before getting hurt, maybe there's more accuracy progress under Norv Turner. Maybe you can rekindle the magic of the dual-threat quarterback. There is no way I personally would pull the plug on that concept two games in. At the end of this season, you have to have an answer. Is Cam only projected forward as more of a pocket passer where I would be skeptical on his ability to be great because he's never been a great pocket passer consistently? Or are you going to ride this dual threat concept as far as you can take it, even admitting that you're putting his body more at risk than you do other types of quarterbacks? For this year, at least, I'm going to ask Cam to be Cam. And I'm going to ask him to be smart about it because it's good for him and it's good for the franchise to be smart about it. Pulling the plug would be the absolute wrong decision right now. And I think smart owners, smart GMs, and smart coaches 
think along those same lines. More of your phone calls on the other side. 1-800-849-2761. As the Panthers are struggling, as the Hurricanes play preseason games tomorrow and Wednesday on the NHL ice, NBA owner Michael Jordan is selling huge chunks of his Charlotte Hornets. What is next for the NBA franchise in our backyard? And how many people even cared about the headlines of the weekend? More on that story with more of your phone calls. 1-800-849-2761. NC State and ECU football fans are not happy about the weekend that was. Wake, UVA, Clemson, Duke, and others are really happy about the weekend that was. And at the pro level, it's not just the Patriots, the Chiefs, the Rams, and the Cowboys at 2-0. You might have predicted those. How about the Niners, the Bills, the Seahawks, the Ravens, and the Packers? One young quarterback that I referred to early is make, earlier is making NFL history. Drew Brees, Tom Brady, and friends make history virtually every time they run out there. This is one of the younger guys. More on his story with more of your phone calls next on the David Glenn Show. He's the UVA head basketball coach, Tony Bennett. You always believed in us. I guess you were the wind beneath our wings. There you go. How's that? <laughs> Do we but, have uh, background music That's for right. That? That's Bette Midler. There we go. You are the wind Keep it right here on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to Best and Worst of the Weekend. We do have lines open for the first time in a long time. One thing I promised as we pick over your votes, Best and Worst of the Weekend, Major League Baseball, hockey is back. Tony Bennett has a contract extension at UVA. Spain, led by Ricky Rubio and Marc Gasol, NF NBA stars both, won the FIBA World Cup. Greg Popovich is calling out some of his fellow Americans for their, quote, ridiculous, immature, and arrogant criticisms of USA basketball after our country's seventh-place finish in China. I got asked, what about the Olympics next year? Quick reminder, Steph Curry, formerly of Davidson, and now your two-time MVP with the Golden State Warriors, he has helped lead Team USA to gold medals under Mike Krzyzewski, for example, but those were both World Cups. Steph Curry has never played in the Olympics, so he's expected to play while still in his prime next year as the most high-profile international basketball event comes back around. It's every four years for the Olympics, and 2020 is an Olympic year. So Steph will be back. Draymond has volunteered his services. Just remember that of the 35 guys in the original talent pool for this year's World Cup, 31 ultimately said no. Some were injured. Some had other personal commitments, but a lot of guys just said no to the second-highest-profile event the World Cup. The Americans had won it in 2010 and 2014 under Coach K with Steph Curry as one of the key players. They fall all the way to seventh with the baton being tossed to Greg Popovich. It wasn't Pop's fault. It was our C team rather than the A teams or B teams that have competed internationally for our country over these last 30 years for the most part. Will James Harden play? He said no to the World Cup. Will he say yes to the Olympics next year? Will Anthony Davis play? He said no to the World Cup. Will he say yes to the Olympics next year? Remember, guys like Ke Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson are coming off of massive, serious injuries where we don't even know to what degree they're going to play the upcoming NBA season. So is it fair to ask a guy who dedicates his life to building his game in his chosen sport and is making tens of millions of dollars to do so in the NBA 
and then suffers a serious injury, would it be fair to ask the guy coming back to from his serious injury, playing for the NBA team that is paying his huge salary, and then right after maybe he plays a little bit after a torn ACL or Achilles or something, you want to ramp him right into the Olympics next summer when maybe he, his trainers, and even his own NBA team would rather he gets more rest in that context. We'll see how it works out. 1-800-849-2761. Gene and Matt and others want in on best and worst of the weekend. Michael Jordan is selling huge chunks of the Charlotte Hornets. What is next for the NBA franchise in our backyard and how many people even care? Quickly, to summarize the top-level sports in our state, one of the main reasons most North Carolina sports fans have gone to having the Carolina Hurricanes mostly off their radar to the joy and celebration of last year's playoff run after that decade-long drought is the fiercely competitive spirit of two men, the new owner, Tom Dundon, and the new head coach, Rod Brindamore. Most of you are most familiar with the captain, the former captain, Rod Brindamore, his personality, his playing exploits, his time as an assistant coach, but his incredible unsurpassed leadership as a universally respected player in the eyes of other hockey players. So when he's the voice in the room, it's not just some dude who's a hockey coach and with that title on his door, he's the Stanley Cup champion player and a legendary work ethic guy, and also universally respected for his interpersonal skills. I say that from personal experience. You don't see him as much, but Tom Dundon, the new owner, is intensely competitive, just like Rod Brindamore is. And there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that Tom Dundon, his intense competitive spirit is part of the turnaround. Now, part of it is him spending his money because he didn't like losing. Part of that is him hitching his wagon to Rod Brindamore, because he mentioned on our show and elsewhere that Rod's the only guy or one of the only guys he's ever met that might be as competitive, if not more competitive, than Tom Dundon himself. So Dundon is spending money. Dundon is asking questions about everything. Why do you have a new video board at PNC Arena this quickly? Because Tom Dundon didn't accept we'll get to it as, as a good answer. Well, no. How can we partner together and make it happen quicker? Because I've got to sell season tickets sooner. I want to fill my building sooner. In the normal course of things is not good enough for me. And he has stubbed toes, even internally in that organization, with his intense competitive spirit. But there is no doubt that that spirit has helped. Players are most important. Rod Brindamore is as important as any coach in the NHL. But that intense competitive spirit from above also matters a lot. Why am I so high on the long-term future of the Carolina Panthers even as they have stumbled out of the gate 0-2? David Tepper. That guy's worth $13 billion because he's smart. He worked his tail off. He created a hedge fund. He was smarter than others and more competitive than others in that world. And he's a self-made mega billionaire at $13 billion. He's creating the new on-the-other-side-of-the-border state-of-the-art Panthers complex. He created the bubble. Why were the Panthers practicing in ballrooms in the most competitive league you can imagine, in the most expensive league we've, our country has ever had, the most popular league our country has ever had? These guys are anal about every last competitive detail, and yet for decades Jerry Richardson didn't have enough money to buy a darn weather bubble, seriously, as he's counting his billions as one of the guys who created the Hardys franchise? That sounds to me like 
I'm rich. I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm doing it my way. I'm going to tell the players why they're, why they're being too selfish in collective bargaining agreements. That's what Jerry Richardson did. But then when it's my turn to create the competitive intensity, ah, I'm, going to, I'm not going to have a place for my guys to practice when the weather is bad. We're going to go in through walkthroughs in a ballroom heading into a big NFL regular season game. That actually happened. I want the crazy competitive person. David Tepper is that. you got to be smart and crazy competitive. No doubt in my mind, Tepper is leading the Panthers. No doubt in my mind, Tom Dundon is leading the Hurricanes. These things do not guarantee success over, year, over every year, by the way. But no doubt in my mind that more good things are coming for both of those franchises. You know who's one of the most famously competitive people in the history of sport, not an exaggeration? Michael Jordan. However... He has never translated that intense competitiveness to ownership, ever. He's been a lousy front office type person. He has never made the Hornets a destination for NBA free agents. Now, you can't be New York or L.A. That's asking him to perform a miracle, right? The free agent who just wants to be in the biggest market or near Hollywood or near you know, Madison Square Garden or whatever, got to be in the biggest cities. Well, we can't offer that. That's not, there's no owner who's going to be able to change that tune. But you can come up with creative ways like the San Antonio Spurs have done. That's a small market. But you know what, man? They romance the wives and girlfriends of the players. They take them to neighborhoods where they can, they can envision short, easy drives to and from work every day. They have unbelievably advanced nutritionist strength and conditioning programs you know, we treat your friends and family like family. We have state-of-the-art equipment. We are going to give you and your family first-class treatment in every way. The Spurs, not a big market, have creatively made themselves a place worth considering because of that extra stuff. That's within Michael Jordan's ability, right? Now, he is not, for those who might be surprised by this, if Tom, if Tom Dundon's worth, I don't know, a couple billion dollars, and the owner of the Panthers, David Tepper, is actually worth like $13 billion. He's one of the 50 or so richest people in North America. Seriously, he's that loaded. David Tepper's worth five times more than Michael Jordan. Now, you all think of him as not only the highly paid basketball player, but one of the great pitch men of all time, and he is those things. Michael Jordan's worth $1 or $2 billion with a B. So he's not poor. But by by. Ownership standards, $1 to $2 billion is actually not an enormous amount of money. And when the Hornets have opportunities to invest in players or to invest in some of the rest of the picture that I described, Michael has not managed that picture well. And that's why I saw the news of the weekend as more of a positive than anything else. If you didn't see it, he's selling huge chunks of the Charlotte Hornets to two New York-based investors. Now, I, some, I know some of you are anti-Yankee, and the last thing you want to see is a couple of Northerners coming down here and tell you how to run your NBA franchise. Well, I'm a believer that good ideas are good ideas no matter where they come from and from whom they come. So Michael, by the way, does own 97% of the Hornets as we speak. He was more in the 60-some percent range, but isn't this alarming? As the Hornets are mostly an afterthought on my syndicated statewide platform, 
People want to talk more Panthers all the time, the resurgence of the hurricanes. You know, the college sports culture in our state is amazing. Big schools, small schools, and in between. We've got NASCAR. We've got golf. We have a lot of other great things. The Hornets are often an afterthought. And I speak to the sports fans of North Carolina every day. If you're an afterthought, even in the eyes of the sports fans, you're in a bad place when they're more excited to see which visiting NBA team is there and which star is coming to town than they are, how does your roster look? That's also a bad place by NBA standards. Michael Jordan has gone from 65% ownership to 97%. Do you know why? Every once in a while, if you're, a, if you're an equity holder, you get what is called a cash call, okay? So you own X percent, and the Hornets are raising money. And if you would like to retain your percentage, you got to put up some cash, or you can reduce your percentage of ownership and not answer the cash call. Michael has gone from 65% to 97% because a lot of the people who owned that other 30%, when it would come time for a cash call, they didn't see a team they were excited about. They didn't see a fan base rallying in or around Charlotte or across our statewide airwaves. They didn't see enough to put up their cash in the cash call. Well, when Michael had to bankroll more of things gradually, his ownership stake goes little by little. I'm talking about over a long period of time from the 65% to the 97%. When you're worth $1 to $2 billion, again, I know it sounds crazy, you don't have enough money to do everything you want to do to take the Hornets where you want to take them. You really don't. So I think it's a good thing. I don't know these guys. Gabe Plotkin, who founded Melvin Capital, and Daniel Sundheim, founder of D1 Capital. These guys are going through the ownership approval process. Michael will still be the controlling owner of the Charlotte Hornets. For those who didn't know, he is the only former NBA player with a controlling ownership stake. So you might own a percent or whatever as a former player. Michael is the only example of I'm the guy. I'm the bottom line majority owner guy. So he'll go from 97% to something far less than that. But clearly he's going to be above 50% even with the introduction of these two guys. I'm excited because it's new ideas. I'm excited because it's new money. People who run hedge funds or venture capitalist firms don't throw money around just to throw money around. Occasionally, it's we want to get into sports, but overwhelmingly, it's we want to make more money. That's what we do in venture capitalism. That's what we do in hedge funds. These guys come from those backgrounds. Michael told the Charlotte Observer and others that he's also intrigued by some of the technological advances that these new partners can bring to the future of the Hornets. Michael, by the way, even with his inaction, and I would argue at times incompetence as the owner of the Charlotte Hornets, he's getting wealthy through his ownership because Forbes estimates the Hornets are worth about $1.3 billion. Do you know what Michael Jordan had to pay? to? Remember there were the Bobcats for a while, and he had to buy out the guy named Bob Johnson, hence the Bobcats. Michael Jordan paid roughly a couple hundred million dollars. So what you bought a majority stake in for a couple hundred million. And a lot of that was just like inheriting debt. Not a whole lot of cash Michael had to fork over in his purchase years ago. When you buy something at 200 million or whatever it was, and it's worth more than a billion, I mean, your investment has increased sixfold despite your incompetence. When you hear me not feeling sorry for 
professional sports owners and sometimes asking them to spend to a degree that they might even lose money on paper in a given year. Why do I not apologize even a little bit of that for that, for asking that for that aggressive approach? Because you make more money in life because of our tax system with the appreciation of assets that you own, stocks and otherwise, a lot more than having a great annual salary. Uh, trust me, it, the, the numbers are not close. Look at your income taxes, state, local, federal, and otherwise, and the other chunks they take out of, even if you have a great salary, and I hope you do. Look at wealth building through other means. Michael Jordan is getting a six-time return on his Hornets investment, despite not doing a lot of good things to make them a better franchise. Meanwhile, somebody has convinced him, unless he came to this conclusion himself, he needs more money and he needs more ideas and he needs more help. Maybe it's a glimmer of hope for the longer-term future of the Charlotte Hornets. It's been sad to see them be mostly irrelevant in our statewide conversation for most of my 20 years doing this stuff. 1-800-849-2761. Matt is in Raleigh and wants in on best and worst of the weekend. Matt, go right ahead. Hey, how are you, DG? I'm doing great, man. What's on your mind? Well, worst of the weekend, obviously, was Friday's. Uh, the Heels came all the way back and couldn't get it done. So now we got to look forward to App State coming here on Saturday. Won't that be interesting? Out of the way, yeah. uh, a, what do they need to do to rebound to get back on track? B, best of the weekend, obviously, you know, my Cowboys won. The rest of the division sunk it up. Breeze is now out, so now we have a better shot of beating the Saints at their place in two weeks. Yeah. Hey, I'll tell you what. As a Cowboys fan, you should be sky high because Zeke is back. Dak Prescott is completing 82% of his passes through two weeks. Talk about great timing for great performance. As he's discussing with Jerry Jones a new contract, it doesn't get much better than that. It is the Cowboys' first 2-0 and start since 2015. And in all seriousness, I mean, you know, I have no love for the Cowboys as an Eagles fan. But if we did some NFL power rankings right now, I mean, I wouldn't argue about the details. It's more of a category than, than nitpicking over who's one, two, three, four, five, et cetera. Of course, the 2-0 New England Patriots are, as usual, one of the best. The 2-0 Kansas City Chiefs are the juggernaut on offense, which they usually are, and they're playing better defense, which is scary. The 2-0 Rams, we got an eyeful of as they beat the Panthers in Charlotte. They still remain on this top tier. And honestly, the next team that I think of is the Dallas Cowboys. They can run it with Zeke. They have one of the better offensive lines in this league. Dak Prescott, in part because of those two things, is hitting on all cylinders and playing with great confidence. The defense is good. They've st- they're off to a 2-0 start. There's just some good energy there, some good mojo there. Eagles are 1-1. One Washington and the Giants are not good football teams. So look at your neighborhood. Philly might be really good. We'll see. But in your neighborhood, you're 1A or 1B. And health-wise, you're adding players in some cases. Zeke coming off of the holdout. Where, you know, Phillip Rivers is seeing guys drop like flies around him with the L.A. Chargers right now. I mean, there were four missing starters going into the season, and then he lost his play-calling linebacker on defense, and Melvin Gordon is still holding out. I mean, as if you can stay reasonably healthy after this 2-0 start, man, you're in the driver's seat. I think your Cowboys are exactly where you want them to be. Your Tar Heels are in a different predicament in large part because, and I'll just say this and get to other calls on the other side. Carolina deserves a lot of credit for its 2-0 start and even the fight that it put up in comeback fashion 
Uh, they were supposed to get one more second. They would have had a Hail, Hail Mary to try to tie or beat the Deeks. Odds are they wouldn't have converted, right? It's a 100-to-1 shot maybe. So credit to Deeks for starting 3-0. and But also credit to Heels for starting 2-1. and What I wasn't sure of all summer was how great would Sam Howell be as the true freshman quarterback right away. You just It's just hard to know. He's been really good, far more good than bad. He can get better, but far more good than bad. The other thing is if you look at the Carolina depth chart, Larry Fedora left a decent list of starting football players. If you just look at 11 on offense and 11 on defense, Carolina had enough for the Mac is back theme to have a first good year. Carolina has almost no depth. They have a couple of good tailbacks, so that's depth. They have, you know, four or five good wide receivers. That's good depth. Almost nowhere else on their depth chart do they feel good about their second team. And what's happening? Cornerback Patrice Rene is is out with a serious injury. And one by one, they've lost two of their starting five offensive linemen to injury already. One of their wide receivers was unavailable against Wake Forest. Everybody has some injuries. The Tar Heels can only have the dream season that looked possible at 2-0 and if they stay relatively healthy because the second team at, you know, Wake and State have had coaches in place for six or seven years. Their second teamers have played in most cases. They're not, it's not panic button if you need the number two guy in there. In fact, a lot of those veteran coaches roll the first and second team at least a little bit to get the backups more experience. Carolina does not have that and they're up to like half a dozen key injuries through a two-and-one start. So your Cowboys are perfectly positioned for a run. Your Tar Heels have kind of come back to earth and have some significant question marks moving forward, although they've already made this season more entertaining and more exciting than most would have guessed back in August. 1-800-849-2761. Last call for best and worst of the weekend phone calls is on the other side. You can join us with a ballot, a question, a comment, or a complaint. 1-800-849-2761 is how you can join us next on the David Glenn Show. I made a reference to Mike Krzyzewski of Duke and his GOAT status. And I kid you not, I got angry emails. If I really wanted to insult somebody, I would include some kind of sentence about being in the bleeping prairie chewing on grass. This is The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to The David Glenn Show. Last chance for your best or worst of the weekend phone call. Quick update from the NFL. New York Giants head coach Pat Shermer declined to say that Eli Manning will once again be his starting quarterback as the Giants remember 0-2 for the sixth time in the last seven seasons they have started the season 0-2. Would not commit to Eli as his starter as the Giants hit the road to take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That would be a winnable game. If I'm in Pat Schumer's, Pat Shermer's chair, he is a hot seat type guy in the eyes of many. Remember, the backup there is yet another David Cutcliffe protege. The number six overall pick, Daniel Jones from the Duke program, is the backup there. Had a phenomenal preseason. A final decision in New York is expected by Wednesday, but Pat Shermer declined to commit to anybody a little bit earlier today. I don't see much hope for most of these teams that have started 0-2. Maybe you do. Giants, Bengals, Washington, Denver, Jacksonville. Either, well, Miami's 0-2 and an embarrassment to the NFL and tanking 
which is not a word we hear in that sport all that much. Either the Jets or the Browns tonight will fall to 0-2. The Steelers are a surprising name to see at 0-2, and the Panthers, I would argue, are a surprise as well. Unless Mason Rudolph, Big Ben's backup, now that he needs elbow surgery and is out for the season, we learned earlier this afternoon, unless Mason Rudolph is the guy now, not someday, but now, it's going to be tough for the Steelers to be that rare team that bounces back from an 0-2. The Panthers go to Arizona. Getting back to the question earlier, would I reach for the panic button and use Kyle Allen or Will Greer? No way, because who gives you the best chance of beating the Cardinals? Clearly the answer is Cam Newton. That's not me defending what he did through week one and week two. That's me being real about what Kyle Allen and Will Greer have proven, including in the preseason and knowing that neither is really ready to lead an NFL team to the playoffs. Cam Newton has been that. That's not myth. That's not theory. That's we've seen it happen four different times over the last eight years. He needs to run more. He needs to be honest about his health. And if he can handle it, Norv Turner needs to put back into the game plan. This is one of the most dangerous dual-threat quarterbacks in NFL history. One quick factoid I mentioned earlier, and then we'll come down the stretch. Lamar Jackson of the 2-0 Baltimore Ravens had the most rushing yards ever in an NFL game for a quarterback who also threw for 250 or more in the same game. That's the definition of dual threat, right? In his case, against Arizona, 24 for 37 with two touchdowns, 272 passing yards to go with his 120 rushing yards. He has been phenomenal. 8-1 and one now as an NFL starter, former Heisman-winning quarterback Lamar Jackson, now of the Baltimore Ravens. Panthers need to get back to what Cam does best and see how far that can take them. If they find out that's not the long-term answer, well, it's better to know this year than next. Back after this. Dean in Wilmington, you're up on the David Glenn Show. The NCAA book on violations is so sick Superman has trouble carrying. This is true. However, it's not buried into the small print in the back that you're not allowed to drive luxury cars that aren't yours. Okay? (laughs) Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. We are coming down the stretch on today's program. And down the stretch they come. Thanks to Charles Davis of the NFL on Fox. Charles Hadley for producing. Speaking of that Darren Vaught guy, Triad area listeners, you'll get him on the Sports Hub momentarily. TV picks tonight led by Monday Night Football. It is the Browns at the Jets. Baker Mayfield and Cleveland taking on Trevor Simeon in for Sam Darnold. See you tomorrow. Mr. President, Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to, to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina, love the people of North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.